Amen. Come on. Man, do you ever praise God for Omar and our worship team? Man, give him glory this morning. We are thankful. Thankful for them. Uh, before we get into the sermon, just a few things that are going on uh, this week. If you're at home, you may not feel the same way we do in the room. Um, but uh, 25% of the air conditioning units here at First Baptist have gone out. Um, and so our team has been creatively at work to get this room as cool as possible. But of the 25%, 85% of the ACs that went out are in this room. So we've done our best to get it cool. Scott's working really hard with our team to get it up and running. And, and a couple of things I want to give the Lord glory for. One, um, we, we don't know exactly what the path forward is. We know these are big units and a lot going on. But I, I forget sometimes to talk about the offering at the end of service. I get reminded of that every time I forget uh, to do that. But, but let me tell you, my wholehearted belief is that as we run hard after Jesus Christ, this idea not simply of tithing, but giving abundantly to the Lord um, is, is part of who he makes us to be. And at, at First Baptist, there's a lot of that going on. Um, we, we aren't. A young man asked me um, the other day if uh, I owned the building here and did I start the church to have a job? And uh, we had a great conversation. The answer is no to both of those, if you're visiting with or wondered. Um, but the Lord has given us this place to steward and to gather. And because of faithful giving, regardless of what happens forward, um, we're not going to be doing fundraisers or doing extra. You just keep giving abundantly to the Lord, and we will keep stewarding unto Him. One day we'll give an account to that. But He has made it possible, even with all of our ACs out, for it to be moderately comfortable in here. And, and I told you that before you started singing because I was afraid you might sing quietly to keep the hot air in on Father's Day. We didn't want that. And so if you'll just be praying for God's favor as we work on that this week, we'll continue to get it going. Um, our, our children took up an offering. VBS was amazing this week. They took up an offering um, this week. Uh, and, and they, with probably some parental help, I'm with you, um, brought in over $800 for Missions Dignity. And so would you encourage them this morning? Um, and, and I'll tell you, um, it was on my heart before it happened. Then when it happened, I thought, Lord, I just don't want this to be me. So uh, however God sees to be fit. But we'll be taking up offerings for Mission Dignity, special offerings this week, but specifically next week we'll have it set up so you can give online. Um, and I, it would be on my heart to show our children what giving generously unto the Lord means. And so um, I'll let our finance team put your fingers in your ears. You Give to missions this week, and the Lord will take care of this mission as well. So you give your offerings unto him. Don't worry about our AC. He's got that. Scott just had a heart attack. But instead, let's show our children what amazing generosity is to take care of those who are serving in missions and who served and retired and now are barely thriving or barely alive with food on their table. So, so be praying about what that looks like this this week for you as we come together okay so those things are going on and then the last thing i do want to let you know dads happy father's day like we love you can you can you just encourage our dads um we're we're beyond thankful for for dads this is my second one to celebrate um my my father 
who is joined with my heavenly father today and so it's a different season of life and so dads as you lead today we want to celebrate you got some special things and you'll be grabbing on your way out too but we pray that today is a good godly day uh, for you lot to celebrate and i'm looking at the clock and omar was kind so that i don't have to cut short too much the word because what we're talking about today um, is a is a gentile type pentecost the day the holy spirit fell on people outside of the people of israel um, this is a potent passage in scripture acts chapter 10 through 11 is where we're going to be today and as we do that as we look in god's word we're going to be talking about these moments that are life-defining moments, these moments where there's no turning back. Um, it, our modern word or phrase of this might be the word, a tipping point. So as I was studying that and looking that up, a tipping point, if you're a definition per person, is this. It's the critical point in the situation or process or system beyond which a significant and unstoppable effect or change take, takes place. It's the point in, in a timeline, system process life, in which an event causes significant change of which there's normally no turning back. It's an unstoppable effect. And what we look at in, in Acts chapter 10 and 11 makes that all come to life. And, and I don't want to, to open it too much because we're going to walk through a story in the middle of it. But, but I want to tell you what I've noticed about tipping points. And it's that proximity matters. The closer we are to the epicenter, the more we get to experience. Do you know when I, I remember first learning that? And I was dwelling on this last week, trying to figure out which child it was. And I'm sure Ashley did this as well. But, but I vividly have her memory of Connor saying something to me, maybe your child said to you growing up, Dad, Dad, I have something to tell you. Come here. What is it, son? What is it? No, no, no. Come here. Do you, do you know what happens? He, he put his hand on my head. He said, Daddy. I said, yeah, bud. Can you still feel the breath on your ear, dads, from that conversation? If yours isn't old enough for that, it's coming one day. It's different. Listen, I, long before my son, I heard my bride say, I love you. Long before my son, I heard my mom and dad say, I love you. But when he said, come really close, There was a point of no turning back. There was a heart change. He had no idea that proximity mattered that much in the big scheme of things. But what he knew was he wanted all of my ear to catch all that he said. Today we're looking at the story of a centurion and Peter in Acts chapter 10 and 11. And I want you to know, we're talking about a tipping point in not just Peter's life, a tipping point not just in a centurion soldier's life, but a tipping point in church history, in our story. 
And, and I want you to know, this is a grand, this is one of the granddaddy of our faith tipping points. But in the midst of this tipping point, what I want you to know is throughout history in your story, God has been setting up moments that are unstoppably driving you in different direction, directions. And I want you to know that in the midst of those directions, that God wants you to get all of it. He doesn't want you to miss anything he has in store for you. So as we look at their story, let me just open it. Chapter 10, verse 1. Just chapter 10, verse 1, so you can know what's going on. The Bible says this. It says, At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. You see, in the middle of this time in history... It's not simply biblical history. It's all history. There's a centurion who's got responsibility over many, many lives. Responsibility in the government. And he's living in Caesarea. Caesarea has a good group of, of Jewish people, of God's people in it. But it is enormously a Roman place. I mean, everything about this, this vicinity where this Italian centurion in, it screams of Rome. It screams of idol worship. It screams of, of man esteeming self. In the midst of this environment where the people, the Jewish people, are forced to live in this world, God makes a tipping point happen. In your world, we can look around and say it's a lot easier just to co coexist with those who are just like us. But we see in God calling feet to move, a mission journey, we start to see God has a bigger purpose for us than just what we would find pleasant in the moment. And if we follow him, then we will be a part of his tipping points that bring life in. So if you're a note taker, I want you to write this down. It starts like this, proximity and preparation are found in prayer. Proximity, drawing near to God, and preparation, what God has been up to, it, it, it is found in, it results in, it's discovered in, in prayer. One of the tipping points of my life was the first time I took a group out of the country on a mission trip. Um, as a youth pastor, 20 years ago maybe, maybe late 20s, I, I told some people I would never take teenagers out of the country because it was just too dangerous. I didn't feel comfortable for it. And then somewhere in my story, God said, I want you to take a group of, of, of students and parents, and I want you to carry my word where people won't go. And so I can't even tell you how it happened, but I got connected with a missionary who was in Nicaragua. There's not a lot of Baptist missionaries in Nicaragua because we call it saturated. I will tell you what, Central America is not saturated. And so we took this group down, and we, we stayed in, in, in the capital, and we drove out into the middle of nowhere. Uh, Pueblo Nueva was the town they called this small town. And each day we had a rhythm. We, we would prayer walk an area, 
And then in the afternoon, we would go uh, distribute the gospel. We would go and pray for people in their homes. And then we would tell them we were showing a movie about the life of Jesus that night. And that was our rhythm. We start off with a prayer walk, and then we come back through, and we, we distribute the gospel, and we offer prayer, and we, we share Jesus Christ. Well, there was one day where, where the pastor that was with us said, there's a town up on the hill that needs the gospel. But, but we'll have to go and, and drop you off with some people and then pick you up at the end of the day. My Spanish is no good. Our, our Spanish-speaking classes here are working with me on it. It was worse then than it is now. So here I go with five teenagers, two girls, three guys, and one deacon from the church. And we start walking. And we split where three of us go to the left and two go to the right and we're going to meet together. As we're walking through, we go into the first house and there's a sick woman there and we start praying. We ask if we can pray. We start praying for her. When we're done praying, she was very kind. We walked out of the house and we start walking down the road in the mountain by ourselves. And all of a sudden, this man starts screaming at us from a hundred yards back. He is angry. He is aggressive. And he is tracking us. In that moment, as we're walking, these children are looking to me, and I have no idea what we're going to do. I don't know how to handle it. I don't know if I can. I mean, I'm a massively intimidating person. But I don't know what I'm going to do. And as we're walking, they're saying, what do we do? And I said, guys, I have a confession. I haven't prayed for our journey yet today. Have you prayed for our, for our time today? And they both confessed, we have not prayed at all. You see, our, that moment, we weren't prepared. We haven't allowed the invitation of the Lord to make place in our life. And so we found out that without drawing near, we wouldn't be prepared. And that always finds itself in prayer. Look with me in Acts chapter 10, verse 2 through 6. I also then will go down a little bit further in verse 9 through 16 because it's potent. Verse 2. A devout man, this was Cornelius, who feared God with all of his household. He gave God generously to all people and prayed to God continually. And about the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw a vision of an angel, and God told him to come in and, and say to him, Cornelius. And he started, stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, who is by the sea. I want you to see the difference between David Adams at my tipping point and the centurion at his tipping point was that he had saturated himself in prayer. He had drawn near to a God. 
He had responded to the call, to the invitation. God had been at work in his life. God had been revealing things all along the way in his life. And his response was, Lord, I want to draw as near as you will have me. Now look at Peter's story, verse 9 of the same chapter. It says, the next day as they were on their journey approaching the city, Peter went up about the sixth hour to do what, church? To pray. You see, I want you to know, dads, this is important. If you want to see the Lord change your marriage in a way that has never been changed before, moms, if you want to see your children change in a way towards Christ that they've never seen before, if we want the Lord to change our life, we have to meet Him in prayer. We have to draw near. And the prayer of a man like Peter is, Abba, Father, I love you. What do you have to say to me today? The prayer of the centurion soldier may have been, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. God, I want to give you glory to an unknown God that I only can know from a distance. You see, here's the key. Prayer of God's people is heard. But prayer that is offered authentically is prepared by God because he is saying, draw near to me. God didn't say, look at this centurion soldier. He cleaned up his life. I'm going to give him a shot. Not at all. God had prepared his heart. God had, had shown him grace. This morning, church, my question is, are you drawing near to the God who has invited you to come? In Scripture, Zacchaeus wasn't praying. He just drew as near to Jesus as he could. In Scripture, a Jairus, an official whose daughter was dying and eventually died, didn't, didn't pray. He just drew as near to Jesus as he possibly could. In, in every sense of the word, Peter, James on the boat, Jesus says, do this. Lord, we've been doing it, but because you said, let me draw as near to you as I can. Church, I want you to hear. Dads, I want you to hear. Kids, you need to know this, that your proximity to the Lord is him preparing you for something. He has made himself available, and so you and I be willing to meet him in prayer. God doesn't need you to shiny it up for him. He doesn't need you to, to, to clean things up before he shows up. He is the almighty God who offers what you and I do not have. I want you to know my children love Jesus because Jesus has drawn near to them, not because I have programmed or designed them that way. Dad, your ability to change the world is not found in anything you have, but it's in whom has called you to have him. So on this day, a centurion in prayer, Peter in prayer, 
draw near to God. When we draw near to God in prayer, if we listen instead of just talking the whole time, we'll find out that prayer, proximity, and that opportunity allows us to be obedient in our actions. I want you to, to be aware of that, that prayer, when we offer it to God, is asking him to align us with him, not asking him to align with our wants and desires. And so there's opportunity. If your prayer life is lacking opportunity, first, are you drawing near to God in prayer, or are you just throwing prayer bombs, hoping something takes? When you and I pray, linger with the Lord who has the answers. If you're in a hurry, if the day is busy, if the children are crazy, if life is a mess, if your, if your marriage has been destroyed, find yourself on the knees and don't get up until he speaks. Because how do you know what to do? Walking up that mountain we realize this guy is getting closer to us and he seems to only be getting more upset. So I tell these kids right here, right now, don't look back. I just want your eyes down and we're just gonna pray. We're just gonna be faithful. We're gonna ask the Lord to go before us. We're gonna ask the Lord to go behind us. We're going to ask the Lord to stand with us. We just started praying scripture to God. You see, because that is, that is all that we knew was an obedient stand of faith. I wasn't going to say, y'all keep walking, I've got this. I, I, I wasn't going to make up a way out of this. I wasn't going to walk backwards and try to calm him down. I wasn't looking in the trees or the houses for help. All that I knew was to be obedient in that moment because the spirit of God had drawn near to me and convicted me that I had not tapped in I had not leaned in I had not said father come here today I have something to tell you and so in my obedience that's all it was nothing miraculous I didn't break a limb off a tree crack it over my stick and lightsabers grow out right that didn't happen I want you to see what happens here, what obedience looks like in prayer. Look with me back in your Bible, back at verse 7, and then we'll go down to 23, 7 and 8 and 23. In verse 7, it says, When the angel of the Lord spoke to him, had departed, this is what, this is what the centurion did. He called two of his servants, a devout soldier from among those who had attended, attended him, and having a job related to everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. He acted in obedience. And he sent them to Joppa to get Peter. Why? Because in his time of prayer, the Lord has said, I have something for you. Now be obedient. So what did the centurion do? He was simply obedient. Peter, in times of prayer, has these men walk upon him. In verse 23, he invited them in after they told him what had happened. They said, be my guest. In the midst of that, it says, the next day he rose and went away with them. 
and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And the following day, they entered Caesarea, and Cornelius was expecting them. And he called together his relatives and his close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him, fell down at his feet, and worshipped him. But Peter, lifting him up, said, Stand up, I too am a man. As he talked with him, he went over and found many persons gathered, and he said, You yourselves know it's unlawful for a Jew, Peter, to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation, you. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for you, I came without objection. So I ask then, why did you send for me? Now, I want you to notice something really important here. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, somehow you are in this room or you're watching with us here today. That is not by happenstance. It's not just that someone guilted you in. God has a plan and he wants you to hear a word. And that word is, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. If you want to know freedom, come close. Obedience for the centurion looked different than what God required of his people in Peter. Did you see that? What did the centurion have to do? He had to send two people to go hear what God had in store for him. That was it. Are you willing to let go of what you have in your home to be obedient to God? Are you willing to, to risk what you've been holding on to? This is, this is what the, the prayer, the word of God calls the centurion to be obedient in doing. Letting go of what you've been holding on to. Some of you in this room do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's because you will not draw near because you are too angry. You are too hateful. Your sin is too entrenched. Your brokenness has defined you. Listen to the Spirit. Because I've heard what he asked me when I was in that place. Will you let go and obey me? For Peter, it was more costly. You see, the rules of the day, the acceptable, the acceptable environment to work in was that Jews who were good Jews, it was not allowed, it was unlawful to go break bread with someone who was not a Jew. Now, is that in the Bible anywhere? Does, it, does God call the nations and the world unclean people? Now, what happened is God in the Old Testament had, had put these laws in place to keep his people separate so they wouldn't get sucked into the culture of the world. And Pharisees had come along and they had built a rule on a rule on a rule on a rule on a rule to make sure they didn't even get close to breaking the law. And in doing that, they made another law. And that law says, listen, if the Gentiles eat unclean things, if the Gentiles prepare ways that are unclean, then most likely, if you sit down with a Gentile, which doesn't mean a certain group, it means you're not Israel. That's what Gentile means. You're not God's people of Israel. So that's most of us. If they don't do things the way we do them, then we just need to make them unclean. That way we don't get close to doing something that could possibly offend God. And so Peter, in simply 
obeying what God said, he didn't just risk what he was holding on to. He risked the way all of his friends, all of his peers respected him and looked at him. He risked being an object of the conservatives and the liberals. He risked being the object of scorn from those who loved him. Do not forget that Peter had a mother-in-law. By definition, it means he had a wife. You following me? You don't just like adopt a mother. That would be horrible. I love my mother-in-law. Don't, don't. The wife makes it great. He risked his wife's standing in the community. He risked all of her friends shunning her by being obedient to the Lord. Church, I can tell you the number of times and, and people where that initial risk is one thing I gladly give up what I have for that which I cannot lose, we shared last week. But it's amazing the further we get from the epicenter of salvation taking hold in our life, how much we try to protect what we are going to lose and give up what can't be lost. Today, are you willing to draw near enough to God where obedience is your only option? All of your dreams, all the things you've been working on, the life you've been building, are you willing to risk, dads, your child's future in obedience to Jesus Christ? It's funny, my son had a conversation with me yesterday. Uh, Omar is helping lead a children's camp this week, and uh, just some things have been going on. He's doing a great job helping our kids, letting our kids come out with him to kids camp to lead worship. And they're going to be heading down today. And, and he said, hey, it's Father's Day. Y'all stay, come up tomorrow. I got it handled. And Connor came up to me and he said, Dad, um, Omar's going up there by, by himself with his family. And I'd love to take my car and make sure he can take everything up there and, and get ready. It's been a long week for him. He said, I know it's Father's Day, but can I offer to go? And I said, sure. And so he, he finished mowing the yard and came back to me, and he said, Dad, you know what? I didn't give you an option. Father's Day is your day. He said, so, I, you know, I, I can go up Monday. And I said, thank you, son. It makes me so angry that you would give your Heavenly Father glory on Father's Day. It breaks my heart that I've raised an obedient believer. In jest, I said all of those things that nothing makes me prouder as a father to say, I will gladly give up my day to let my son and will glorify his heavenly father. Are you willing, believer, to be obedient? Because the cost and risk to Peter was way more than it was the centurion. But, but Peter knew what the centurion hadn't, and maybe you've forgotten See, because that proximity, when it meets action and obedience, then we draw near to God's promise. Amen? There is never a time when you will find yourself in prayer and God will call you to obedience where it will not lead you to his promise. And where his promise is, there is power. Church, you need to, you need to remember that. Where God's promise is, there is power. In every instance, every angle. And we might be removed from that. 
Because on that day, walking up that mountain in the middle of nowhere, confessing, God, I haven't prayed to you, taking action of obedience, I'll confess it in front of these teenagers whom I'm leading. I haven't prayed. Let's bow before the Lord. We said amen, and the place went silent. And I turn around, and the man who was angry and animated had turned around and dropped his head and was walking slowly the other direction. In that moment, I didn't expect God to do anything. I asked him for protection and for care. He called me near. He asked me to be obedient. And he led me to his promise. Church, that day in Acts chapter 10, Cornelius and Peter saw the same thing. Peter says in verse 39, he says, listen, excuse me, verse 34. He says, so Peter opened his mouth and said, truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, everyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And he began to preach the good news. Peter got it. And the power was so great, chapter 11, verse 18, that he went and he took the news to the church in Jerusalem and he shared what God had done. He shared what the Lord was doing. And guess what God's promise did? Verse 18, chapter 11, when they heard these things, the church in Jerusalem, they fell silent and they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. You see, Peter in that day, obedient to God, saw the power and the promise of God come before him, right before his eyes, and he couldn't be silent. And so he took it all the way back to Jerusalem. Church, what happened? Verse 44, chapter 10, Cornelius. While Peter was still sharing these things, the gospel of Jesus Christ. While he's saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word and the bible says and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with peter they were amazed here's why the gift of the holy spirit was poured out even on the gentiles for they were hearing them speak in tongues extolling god and peter declared can anyone withhold water for baptizing from these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus, and they asked him to remain for some days. Cornelius had no idea that, that day how the week would end. He had no idea when he was just trying to be obedient to God not understanding, not knowing God's plan, what sending these two men out in obedience to God would lead to. And it led to life for him and to all those around him. Because the word fell upon them and the spirit sealed their life. We have grown accustomed church, not to a drawing near, a prayer in proximity to God, but we have grown accustomed to, to sharing some words with God not listening 
trying to live in obedience and wondering why the power of God seems so far away. Well, let me share with you today. There's only one cause of that. Proximity. If you're a believer, think about the moment the Holy Spirit ripped you free from the chains that bound you. How close did he draw near in that moment? Maybe the rhythm of your life has become filled with all the things you do for God and he's just calling you to do this with him. Maybe your life has gotten so busy that you don't have time to draw near to him. Today, I challenge you Live in the promise of God. Dads, do your wives know that the foot of your bed is the place you kneel before your holy God and commit her to him? Do your children wonder why your shadowy figure walks through their rooms each day? In your closet, do they wonder what the cushion is for under your hanging clothes? Lead them to the promise. lead them to life we've led them to scholarships we've led them to dreams of a temporary future there is no power in such things but if you have a relationship with him dads let the spirit call you right now to be obedient so that your children know nothing but the promises of God. If you find yourself in this room or watching this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ, let me tell you what God told Peter to share with Cornelius. Verse 36 is for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching the good news of peace through Christ Jesus. He is Lord of all. You know what happened in Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. With the Holy Spirit and with power, he went about doing and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. And God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews in the Jerusalem, and they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God, he raised him on the third day. He made him appear, not of all, not to all the people, 
but to us, chosen by God, witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people, to testify that he is the one, Jesus, anointed by God. To be the judge of the living and the dead. And to him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness through his name. That's the power and the promise of the life of Christ. And so if you do not know him, before you lift up your children, lift up the one who holds your children. Father God, we love you. Lord, today, God, let us draw near in proximity to you. Lord, in prayer, what we might listen to what the holy God of the nations would say. And Lord, let us be obedient in this moment, God, whether it is to start anew or to join in life by believing in who Jesus Christ is, the judge of the living and the dead, who offers life to all who would draw near and find shelter under submission to his mighty name. Lord, let us see your power and your promise, not once in a lifetime, but every moment of our life, God. We pray this in Jesus' name.